Section six of Rudder Grange. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Rudder Grange by Frank R. Stockton. Chapter three. Treating of a novel style of girl. Part two. Astonished and somewhat disconcerted, I rose to my feet and confronted the tall Irishwoman, and stood smiling in an uncertain sort of way as if it were all very funny, but I couldn't see the point. I think I must have impressed the people with the idea that I wished I hadn't come. "'He says,' exclaimed the woman, as if some other huckster were crying fish on the other side of the street, "'he says he lives in a wash-tube.' "'He's crazy!' ejaculated Mrs. Blaine, with an air that indicated policemen as plainly as if she had put her thought into words." A low murmur ran through the crowd of women, while the thin clerk edged toward the door. I saw there was no time to lose. I stepped back a little from the tall savage, who was breathing like a hot air engine in front of me, and made my explanations to the company. I told the tale of Rudder Grange, and showed them how it was like to a stationary wash-tub, at certain stages of the tide. I was listened to with great attention. When I had finished, the tall woman turned around and faced the assemblage, "'And he wants a cook to make soup, in a canal boat,' said she, and off she marched into the back room, followed closely by all the other women. "'I don't think we have any one here who would suit you,' said Mrs. Blaine. "'I didn't think so, either. What on earth would Euphemia have done with that volcanic Irish woman in her little kitchen?' I took up my hat and bade Mrs. Blaine good morning. "'Good morning,' said she, with a distressing smile. She had one of those mouths that look exactly like a gash in the face. I went home without a girl. In a day or two Euphemia came to town and got one. Apparently she got her without any trouble, but I am not sure. She went to a home, St. Somebody's home, a place where they keep orphans to let, so to speak. Here Euphemia selected a light-haired, medium-sized orphan and brought her home. The girl's name was Pomona. Whether or not her parents gave her this name is doubtful. At any rate, she did not seem quite decided in her mind about it herself, for she had not been with us more than two weeks before she expressed a desire to be called Clare. This longing of her heart, however, was denied her. So Euphemia, who was always correct, called her Pomona. I did the same whenever I could think not to say Bologna, which seemed to come very pat for some reason or other. As for the boarder, he generally called her Altoona, connecting her in some way with the process of stopping for refreshments, in which she was an adept. She was an earnest, hearty girl. She was always in good humor, and, when I asked her to do anything, she assented in a bright, cheerful way, and in a loud tone full of good fellowship, as though she would say, "'Certainly, my high old cock, to be sure I will. Don't worry about it. Give your mind no more uneasiness on that subject. I'll bring the hot water.' She did not know very much, but she was delighted to learn, and she was very strong. Whatever Euphemia told her to do, she did instantly with a bang. What pleased her better than anything else was to run up and down the gangplank, carrying buckets of water to water the garden. She delighted in outdoor work, and sometimes dug so vigorously in our garden that she brought up pieces of the deck planking with every shovelful. Our boarder took the greatest interest in her, and sometimes watched her movements so intently that he let his pipe go out. What a whacking girl that would be to tread grapes out in the vineyards of Italy! She'd make wine cheap, he once remarked. Then I'm glad she isn't there, said Euphemia, for wine oughtn't to be cheap. Euphemia was a thorough little temperance woman. 
The one thing about Pomona that troubled me more than anything else was her taste for literature. It was not literature to which I objected, but her very peculiar taste. She would read in the kitchen every night after she had washed the dishes, but if she had not read aloud, it would not have made so much difference to me. But I am naturally very sensitive to external impressions, and I do not like the company of people who, like our girl, cannot read without pronouncing in a measured and distinct voice every word of what they are reading. And when the matter thus read appeals to one's every sentiment of aversion, and there is no way of escaping it, the case is hard indeed. From the first I felt inclined to order Pomona, if she could not attain the power of silent perusal, to cease from reading altogether, but Euphemia would not hear to this. "'Poor thing,' said she, "'it would be cruel to take from her her only recreation. And she says she can't read any other way. You needn't listen if you don't want to.' That was all very well in an abstract point of view, but the fact was that in practice the more I didn't want to listen the more I heard. As the evenings were often cool, we sat in our dining-room, and the partition between this room and the kitchen seemed to have no influence whatever in arresting sound. So that when I was trying to read or reflect, it was by no means exhilarating to my mind to hear from the next room that the lady Cecilia now sized the weep on and all through the poorly villi and retained his vigorous hold. She drew the blade through his fingers and hurled it far behind her, dripping with jor. This sort of thing, kept up for an hour or so at a time, used to drive me nearly wild. But Euphemia did not mind it. I believe that she had so delicate a sense of what was proper that she did not hear Pomona's private readings. On one occasion even Euphemia's influence could scarcely restrain me from violent interference. It was our boarder's night out, when he was detained in town by his business, and Pomona was sitting up to let him in. This was necessary, for our front door, or main hatchway, had no night-latch, but was fastened by means of a bolt. Euphemia and I used to sit up for him, but that was earlier in the season, when it was pleasant to be out on deck until quite a late hour. But Pomona never objected to sitting or getting up late, and so we allowed this weekly duty to devolve on her. On this particular night I was very tired and sleepy, and soon after I got into bed I dropped into a delightful slumber. But it was not long before I was awakened by the fact that Sarah did not flinch, but grasped the heated iron in her uninjured hand, and when the rapid animal approached, she thrust the lurid poker in his "'My conscience!' said I to Euphemia. "'Can't that girl be stopped?' "'You wouldn't have her sit there and do nothing, would you?' said she. "'No, but she needn't read out that way.' "'She can't read any other way,' said Euphemia, drowsily. "'Yell after yell resounded as he wildly sprang. "'I can't stand that, and I won't,' said I. "'Why don't she go into the kitchen? "'The dining-room's no place for her.' "'She must not sit there,' said Euphemia. "'There's a window-pane out. Can't you cover up your head?' "'I shall not be able to breathe if I do, but I suppose that's no matter,' I replied. 
The reading continued. Ha, ha, Lord Marmont thundered, thou too shalt suffer all that this poor— I sprang out of bed. Euphemia thought I was going for my pistol, and she gave one bound and struck her head out of the door. Pomona, fly! she cried. Yes, ma'am, said Pomona, and she got up and flew, not very fast, I imagine. Where she flew to, I don't know, but she took the lamp with her, and I could hear distant syllables of agony and blood, until the boarder came home and Pomona went to bed. I think that this made an impression upon Euphemia, for although she did not speak to me upon the subject, or any other that night, the next time I heard Pomona reading, the words ran somewhat thus. The astonishing cheapness of land is accounted for by the want of home markets, of good roads, and cheap means of transportation in many sections of the state. End of section 6